Greetings all. Welcome back to another episode of the Captimizer podcast. I say this every time, saying it again. Another fantastic guest, Kristen Stapleton. She is the owner of Amplify 3X, and she is a coach, a consultant, and just an all-around great person. Thanks thanks for being here today. Thank you, Pat. Great to be here. I appreciate the invite. Well, you know, I'm glad I finally tracked you down and, and drug you onto the show. Uh, we're going to talk about several things today, but just a little bit of background. Uh, Kristen and I met years ago, uh, both live in the uh, greater Lafayette community here, and we were talking about coaching. And I know in the last few years, this concept of coaching has really started to evolve and really start to become more prevalent in the law enforcement space. But I, I'd like to think that Kristen was a bit of a pioneer, and I, I still really appreciate her reaching out and and thinking about us cops when she was trying to help people. So with that, maybe you can uh, kick it off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you've been up to, and then we'll get into what what drove you to work with cops in the first place and what we learned from that. Okay, excellent. Thank you. That's that's a great setup, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big setup. You can yeah. take it anywhere you want to go. Yeah. Well, you know, okay, so you you talk about coaching and performance coaching and um it really was your sort of you kind of jogged my memory really as we talked about, you know, where this kind of excitement around coaching comes from for me anyway. And it's really, it's, it's interesting because I think it, it, if I look back, it really started at a, at a really young age. Um, and as I've gone forward and coached many leaders, I recognize that most people's, you know, passion and purpose in the world started that, that started with a foundation at an early age. So for me, you know, I look back and one of the things that I had the opportunity to do very early in my life was I was able to uh, play on a team, team of the best. And in that space, when we talk about the topic, I mean, in that space, it was basketball. Okay. So we're talking about, you know, we were a 15 and under uh, AU team and we were the best in the country. Um, I mean, it was, it probably even more now. I mean, I get chills thinking about it. Uh, had such an impact on how I view the world, how I view performance, how I connect with others. I mean, to be able to play with the best is an opportunity that, you know, I, is just tremendous for anyone. Um, and when I say that, you know, we were, you think about what the best means. I mean, it was, you know, our starting five were all division one recruits, um, you know, our, our, our leader was Stephanie White, who was Indiana Miss Basketball, went on to play for Purdue, went on to play in the WNBA. Yeah. That's my shout, my little boiler up there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll let you. Say no, that. sorry there. That's yeah, pride. Not, not my side, but that's all right. Um, you know, we had another uh, great teammate that played for Notre Dame, went on to coach at Northwestern. Um, another one that played at Penn State. So 
the talent was there. Now, <laughs> what was fun about it was, you know, we were a team of 10. I was probably sitting at number eight out of 10, um, which is can be definitely uncomfortable. But the thing about that team was really about, we all understood our role. Okay. So for example, you know, I was brought on that team and the only thing that I was really uh, there for was to shut down Stephanie White in practice. <laughs> so she certainly made me look silly at times, but I learned, I learned, you know, the value of hard work and effort and really understanding your role on a team. Um, and I think about that team and I think about the leaders on that team and something that they did that really made a difference was they instilled in us, you know, what role we played in the greater mission of that organization. Um, I, there's so many stories about that, but even though I was number eight, it, it was never, it was always, you understood what role you played and you were expected to play that role to your greatest ability. Uh, so effort and attitude was rewarded even more so than performance. Uh, we think of those as leading indicators of performance. And, you know, that was seen and felt by the leaders, by the team members, and it was reinforced in the actions that those leaders took. So, you know, I think from an early age, that experience just showed me that you can have the best on the team, but it's really how those individuals interact with one another and the respect that they have for one another that that determines really what their performance can be. You know, I mean, we had the opportunity, we we excelled greatly. We were we won the national championship in Ogden, Utah. We had several two-time AAU All-Americans. We, um, you know, we went on to uh, continue our national run uh, in several different cities. So th there was the, it was really about the environment. The reason that that performance worked was because of the environment. You know, I certainly wasn't a division one athlete, but that didn't diminish my role. And so I think that's where my interest in performance started even though I, I maybe didn't know that until much later. Um, but but really, Pat, that's kind of what I do now is when I'm going into organizations, those are the kind of qualities that, that I'm looking for in terms of cultivating high performance. You know, do individuals on the team understand their role in the mission of the organization? And are they held accountable to that? You know, what, what, what is, do they understand it? Um, is it meaningful to them? And then are they held accountable to that? So, you know, that's really kind of how it all started. Well, you know, I'll give you a quick Stephanie White story because she wound up winning the national championship with Purdue, right? Yep. So that was the first time as a young patrol officer, I got the opportunity to uh, to work with my SWAT team, integrated with our mobile our mobile field force in riot control. <laughs> <laughs> now that's probably not the direction you want to go, but uh, it was that was kind of fun to see uh, see that kind of celebration. 
Now, sadly, um, you know, it's been maybe just a little bit too long since we've we've had the opportunity to celebrate like that again. I'm hoping this is the year, but I digress. Gosh, I digress. Wouldn't that be fantastic? <laughs> but in all, in all seriousness, you know what? Really, what you're talking about there is is role clarification, right? In every and that that's a great point. And when you're and that would be maybe interesting to talk about because when we did bring uh, you and your team in to work with our command staff, um, there you made a lot of observations, and I don't want to jump ahead too much, but it was it was number one, it was fascinating for me as a chief to watch this happen um, and to see things, but it also brought a lot of clarification to me as well as in in things that we in not just our agency, but I think policing in general, where uh, we're where we're falling short and where we're not providing the right type of resources to not just our our officers, but our frontline supervisors. And that that really makes or breaks any agency. So I learned a ton from it. I know you did. But before we even get to that, what so when you when you work with well, let me tell you, I'll tell another story that you had told me, and this was something that was interesting. We were looking at police police departments around the country are really focusing now on officer wellness. It's it it's a it's a much needed, probably long overdue approach to policing, where you take a really a, an individual centric uh, approach to wellness, where we everybody's an individual. We work with them as individuals and we provide the resources to them to help them flourish as individuals. And that hopefully in turn results in better performance on the job, longer, happier, healthier lives, um, long retirements, but then also, you know, the opportunity to to really just quite frankly, survive the job and and not be bitter, angry and broken, which happens, it happens to a lot of cops. And you told me when when you were when you were initially trying to bring some of the wellness initiatives and the data that you had to show the private sector hey look if i can come into your company and i can teach these programs and these skills to your employees we can cut costs in your healthcare spend and we can improve productivity and, and all and all those other metrics but you had resistance from leadership in those in those organizations bringing people in, um, am I am I clear? Is that is that a good synopsis of of kind of how you got started? Yeah, I would definitely say there was resistance around you know how to like enforce these kinds of habits on people. There was a bit of a well, that's that's kind of outside of our scope. So okay. I, I would say yes that. So you flipped it though which I thought was fascinating. And okay, well, instead of it's instead of focusing on the employees, let's focus on leadership. Let's give them a taste of what this type of of coaching and programming can do where let them experience the benefit and then see what happens and how that turned out. Yeah, I mean that that's been tremendous. Um I guess personally for me it has been uh, you know, again, like when I relate it back to my early experiences, I mean, what I learned early on is that if leaders don't embrace these concepts, you know, so in a law enforcement space, you think of 
chiefs and sergeants and, and those that are truly making decisions for the department, if they're not embracing these concepts and trust me because I've done it wrong and you roll it out to the masses, the masses will resist even more because they, they see it as, and, and I can't disagree with them as, as simple, as simply words, like we're, we're quote unquote, taking care of you yet. They aren't really seeing the behaviors of their superiors, their leaders in that space. So, yeah, I mean, it was certainly um, a unique opportunity for me that I was fortunate to work with, with you and several others um, at your level that said, hey, how about we take care of my direct team first? And it through that experience, what what was really powerful is that once leaders felt it for themselves personally, because that's the truth of human nature, right? Like what's in it for me? And so by giving them the leaders that there was more of a openness to what that could do for their organizations. Maybe, maybe just talk about um, what, what your focus is when you come in and maybe not even just with, with a law enforcement organization, but what, what would be a high level goal that you have anytime that you're working with, with a new organization and what you're, what you're bringing to them with performance coaching? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, You know, first of all, when I go in, if I, if I put like a, if I could put like cap on what I'm doing, like what the purpose is, it's really about holistic care of your team. Okay. And so what I've found in my experience is it, it really starts with the people. So when I, when I start an organization, I'm going in and I'm doing listening sessions with really what works out to be about 30% of the population, Um, you know, depending on if that's the executive team, which is where I start. Uh, But then we take it a step further to really begin to understand what stands in the way for people. So it's interesting to me because oftentimes so much comes out from that first experience of just helping people feel heard. You know, that is one thing that stood out to me in law enforcement is, and, and Pat, you'll have to help me out with some of the history there, but definitely more of a hierarchical um, management experience where traditionally it's sort of been like, you do what I say you're going to do and kind of keep your mouth shut and, and, and punch forward. And while that is that we absolutely need that in crisis situations, what I've found in working with teams, both private, uh, private sector, as well as law enforcement is people really feel they really want to be heard for what their specific needs are. So, you know, when I first start with organizations, it's all about, it's all about these listening sessions and I have a process to it. There's a certain kind of um, uh, question process that I take through. And then it's really about learning what stands in the way for teams. Uh, And through that, we uncover uh, a lot of what stands in the way from them going from good to great or toxic to something better. 
Um, so that's number one. Number two is really identifying if they've got the right people in the right seats. So, you know, talk about role clarification. Um, you know, again, what I find is most of the time people who hire me, they say, I've got a communication problem. Like I, I don't understand. I, you know, I release these communications and then, and then chaos happens and, and, you know, that message doesn't get down into the trenches. And what I found is that most often it's not really a communication problem per se, but more of an alignment problem. So what I'm looking for is, does everyone on the team understand their role on this team? And do they understand the mission of the organization? I can't tell you how often, you know, in working with companies, if I asked 30% of them what the mission of the organization is, I might get 10 different answers. And they usually have to. And I'm just going to tell you that the human nature, like, unless you're at the very top, that's not going to motivate the masses. So, you know, to, to answer your question, it's really about listening first and foremost to what is not, what needs are not being met. Number two, do you have the right people in the right seats? And number three, do they understand the mission of this organization? Because if not, then we, we really got to, that there needs, that needs to be clarified because otherwise it's very difficult to have clarity of communication if we're not, if we're not uh, channeling toward the same goal. So law enforcement organizations are traditionally built on a paramilitary structure meaning uh, you have, like you said, you have very specific ranks. You have, uh, from the time you get hired, it's probably a little bit, you know, the vernacular is probably a little bit different um, between agencies, but generally you have um, what they call a second-class patrol officer who is a trainee when they complete their basic level of tra training, a release from a training program, they become a, a first-class patrol officer after a designated period of time. And uh, you may have a corporal, detective, um, those types of positions. Then you get into the sergeant, lieutenant, captain. So, uh, yeah, it, it has been, that is the traditional. It's a very linear uh, form of of rank. It's not, uh, you know, it's very hierarchical. It's, it's and and we know that we've seen in, in I, I think, probably in the last 25 years, a big shift at least in the private sector to, you know, to really flatten out organizations. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I think that's a good thing. It's kind of, but it's a, it's really, it's a, it'd be interesting to, to look at this and, and to see like those, the answers that you get, not just from one agency, but across, across a lot. And, and again, that's difficult to do because I've worked with you and you remember we, we did work with uh, Dr. Algae from Purdue as well, doing cultural assessments where we did this, where we went in and did a very comprehensive 360 uh, evaluation. And that that process itself, uh, you know, created a lot of resistance, um, particularly from your supervisors. Right. And and I, I don't know, it's easy to it's easy to be critical of others, but oftentimes people don't like it when others are critical of them and, you know, it creates a defensive type of, of posture. But um, 
flat organizations, a police officer, when they respond to a call, they are their own leader and they are the supervisor on the scene. So there's a lot of trust and a lot of responsibility that that's that's placed on them. And the I, I think it's really interesting when you talk about mission focus and mission clarity. If we haven't if we haven't defined that well for them, which I don't I, I just think across the board, I don't I don't necessarily know that we do a good job on that. And I don't think our communities actually help us in this. And I think we've seen that for the last couple of years because there's this there's this ever expanding demand on services and expectations for the for the a variety of things that we should be handling, like in terms of mental illness and addiction and homelessness. Uh, but then on the other hand, you're also, you have to solve homicides and, and make arrests when robberies occur or home invasions or auto theft. Uh, but then you also have to be able to, to try to negotiate and navigate the waters around, well, what's causing this? Uh, and is this a, is it a societal issue? Is it a policing issue? Yeah, it, it's, I think, yeah, mission focus might be that might might be something at the national level, or it certainly needs to be done, you know, at the at the agency level. But helping us all kind of understand what what our communities want from us. Step one: what what do you want from your police department, and what are your expectations? And that may, that would make it easier for chiefs to help deliver that that role and message down to their officers because we see it all the time. And then when officers are managed. Um, by their supervisors, sometimes that can create conflict because, hey, I've got an idea about what I think I should be doing as a patrol officer, and that is different than what you think I should be doing, you know, from my sergeant or or up, and and now that creates that creates you know definitely some some interesting uh, scenarios. Yeah, Pat, if I if I can just jump in here, you know, one of the things that you that really stands out and what you just shared is, you know, what do our communities want from us? And, you know, my experience working with yourself and law enforcement agencies is is and, and they feel it this this ever um, growing divide between communities and the law enforcement agency and and that's not to say that there aren't great things being done between those two things but this tension right our our society of becoming us versus them and you make a great point of i mean we got to start somewhere right and and right. being the first one to open up and say you know what we can do better and and we want to understand that and you know you talk about taking lessons from and you taking things from law enforcement and applying it to private sector thing taking things from private sector applying it to law enforcement i mean this whole idea of being customer obsessed and so kind of like that's what i heard you where i heard you going is like where do I, what do our communities want from us now what what i would say in terms of you know what's the mission or are we mission focused and do people understand it? You know, I can only offer my outside non-law enforcement observation and really my draw to want to help law enforcement officers. You know, when I first, you know, I, I think it was my brother actually who suggested, you know, talking to you and starting to engage in this conversation 
And as I started studying law enforcement, it really became personal to me because, you know, I think about the work that law enforcement officers do, and I didn't open this conversation up with this, but first and foremost, above everything else in my, in all of my life, I'm a mom. And, you know, I think of our law enforcement and safety, and it's incredibly essential to communities, to families, to, you know, the broader community that we have safe environments for our families to live and play and enjoy. And so it is not lost on me that I go to work every day with not a care concern in the world. You know, I don't live, I always, I always tell officers, I'm never going to pretend to know what it's like to live in your shoes. Okay. But what I can do is I can help you make those shoes more comfortable because what the work that you do, it, it matters to whether, how I live my life. So having safe communities that we live and play and enjoy in, that's at the crux of law enforcement and safety, okay? And that is something that we all can celebrate because I think all the time, you know, what if, you know, what if we lived in these worlds where safety isn't a given, you know, where we truly do feel fearful. And, and I, I can tell you and, and thank you to you and your staffs and the, and the successive staffs that are protecting us from that so that we can enjoy our lives, you know? So first and foremost, it's about our communities and maintaining safety in our communities. But then you take that a step further. And this is where I think that there's such great opportunity from a local perspective as well as, you know, take this to a national level, it's really also about economic development. I mean, there isn't a city, a county, an area anywhere that's going to thrive in a non-safe environment. So when I thought about, you know, what can, what can we do to help law enforcement officers, it's absolutely essential that they are taking care of, that we pour into them because they're the crux of everything. Like our communities will not survive if we don't take care of those law enforcement officers. So I have a, I really do have a deep desire to help because this divide is not instilling a love for our law enforcement officers, a care of our law enforcement officers, and understanding that the reason that we live an independent life is because of the the sacrifices and the work that people like you and your shoes do. Well, I appreciate that. It's um and it oftentimes when when those on the outside take an adversarial approach or maybe they see something controversial uh that happens in law enforcement and we see it all the time, right? It's it's um it's cannon fodder on on the evening news, you get it on social media and, you know, that, that's probably a whole different conversation. Um, but I do think people oftentimes miss the, the importance of that, what you were just talking about safe environments, because it, it is really the number one economic driver for any, any community. Um, you, you can't flourish if you don't have safety bottom line, and you're not going to attract new companies 
and 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 as we know, at least in our area, right, the, you know, these Fortune 500 companies and others that are looking to relocate, you know, we're in a university town. Um, we're we're in a very good situation here. We have great schools, a high level of safety, but that that's something that they investigate and they check. Um, and before before they're going to commit their employees to living in this area. They want to know that they're making they're making a good decision now. Without getting too far off of the off topic, the so with, with all that being said, when you don't have trust and you don't have that transparency, or we don't have good communication about what our goals are, it can create um, a bit of us versus them mentality. And inside, speaking from inside of a police department, the. Uh, it's it's the mentality sometimes can be shields up and this is where it can be insidious inside of police organizations and this is why i really encourage leaders to work with with people like you to help them really lower the shields uh, take a look around and see you know and understand why that why that might be happening because it might be in times of controversy around the country let's just say in the post ferguson days or the george floyd days and everybody is piling on shields come up and now you you have a mistrust between your agency and the community you feel like everybody is attacking you but then internally you know and this is the struggle for for any leader right especially the head of an organization is you're trying to balance the needs of your organization versus the, the with the needs of your community you're trying to support your your agency and and your officers and at the same time you know demonstrate to your community that we have your best interest at heart and we we need to work together on this um but then internally it, it when that you know when it just seems like hey nobody cares about us um it's all bad i call that the doom loop right we can get stuck in the doom loop and then we start spiraling down because now inside of a police organization it's it's not just us against the outside it's 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 the officers and the oh the admin doesn't understand or you know i it, it nobody works as hard as us as in the patrol detectives they're not working hard and detectives are you know, like man patrol doesn't understand like my cases don't go away i i you know every i've got 50 60 70 80 cases in my queue and i'm working them all the time I don't get to just go home and reset every night. I, you know, I, I take this with me and, and this can breed and, and, you know, it can really become uh, problematic. And so what happens then we stop talking and then even in the patrol division, it can be shift versus shift, uh, you know, day shifts and night shifts and uh, red shifts and blue shifts, you know? Um, and so at the core of all that, right, is communication, is effective communication and understanding. And this is where I think we struggle. And I think it really, really boils. And this is we're getting to the core of what I wanted to talk about. It took us a while to get here, but this is exactly what I wanted to talk about. How do we and it, how do we teach people, not just police officers, but we're, you know, we're talking from the police perspective. How do we teach them to communicate, to open up, to be vulnerable, to be in a position where we can, you know, hear and be heard from each other? And that's, and I think 
Uh, what I'm really curious about is to really kind of tip, you know, to tap into your observations when you were working uh, with police, not just my agency, but other agencies uh, over the few years and, and kind of what you saw there. You know, what I hear you saying is it's it's like an us versus them, but then it's an us versus us kind of can be that it can feel that way. So, you know, here, I, here's what I, I can offer my observations and where I've, where I've had and seen success with this. And really it, it's about introducing officers to the science behind it. You know, everyone wants to know why, like, why does, th- why does this work? You know, and, and, and maybe even more so than that, what's in it for me? Okay, so one of the first things that um, and in your group and other groups is, you know, before I ever put officers in situations where they're experiential learning, it's about bringing them into the science of communication and how how we uh, receive one another. So something to understand is like we're all just human. Right. Like I, I love this because. What I work to do with officers or any leader I'm working with is first let them know that they're a good person, right? Like, and so is the guy to the right of you. And so is the girl to the left of you. But here's the reality. We're human and humans from the beginning of time. Like if we just take it back to the hunter gatherer days, all right, our job was to survive. That's what our, that was our only job. So we went out into the world and our job was to scan for threat. That's what we did because we were going to survive and we had to provide for our families. So we scanned for threat, scan for threat, scan for threat, scan for threat. Now, our world has evolved a lot since then, right? Like, thankfully, most of us are not needing to protect our physical environment, but the brain has not evolved at the same rate. And so what you have is you have individuals, all of us, okay? I'm in that boat too, where we're in, where our physical safety and different for law enforcement, but maybe our physical safety is con- is connected. But we're still scanning for threat. And look, that's just being human, all right. So, understanding that our one of our automatic responses to any type of change, any type of feedback, any type of questioning of our ability is going to hit the center of the brain that says, "Uh uh-oh, 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 you know, threat, threat, threat. (laughs) And so just first and foremost, just understand that that's crazy human and and it's okay. (laughs) And it happened to get us to this point where we can survive. And so one of the first points we start with is like, hey, we're all more alike than we're different. We We all have these feelings of fear um, and protection, you know, that that's number one. And then, and then it's really that it, it's exciting because then to help bring officers on a journey of, um, things like growth mindset and neuroplasticity, you know, you, you, we have way more control over how we think than we've ever known before. So growth mindset, neuroplasticity, appreciative inquiry, um, the idea of, creating your own, you know, it, it reality. And, 
it's been very meaningful for me because I've had the personal experience of that transformation. So helping others come along in that journey, you know, once, once they experience it, it's, it's something you have forever. So I look at, I look at the, you know, most of the people that I choose to work with and have an opportunity to work with are very familiar with the physical benefits of taking care of yourself. And what we do from there is really about mental training and helping folks understand like this is sort of next level performance and being able to you know train your mind just like you do your body gives us an advantage in an ever evolving fast pace of change so you know in terms of helping law enforcement um from a communication standpoint what I've found is it's it's important to first give them some science behind how the brain works, how they're receiving communication, why they're receiving it that way. And then from there, we begin our process of teaching them new ways of interacting. Yeah, that's that's great. There's so much to, to really discuss just in that. And really what you're talking about is the sympathetic and the parasympathetic yeah nervous system in the way that we respond to that stress. And one, one of my all-time favorite books in policing really go it's, it's, it's uh, Rafe Sagarin wrote a book called learning from the octopus. And he's a, a marine biologist from Stanford. And he wound up working for department of Homeland security, helping, helping the government identify like how how to best set up systems of security to in order in order to protect the organism as a whole and, and without going too far and anyway, he, he has a I've discussed this a few times but he has a very simple a simple analogy in that everything that you need to know about life can be learned in a simple tide pool just from studying biology and what works right and the first thing is is protect the organism that's the number one thing that any species on this planet, is is it's it's in the dna it's imprinted i i i must first survive pass on my genes and and that's my job and when we don't have those old old school threats like we used to we we are still finding them and i think when you explain this to police officers especially those that have been working for a little while they they really start to get it um when you can Sometimes, but sometimes uh, civilians have a hard time making that leap, and and we could go in a lot of different directions with this conversation. But I'll get I'll give a quick example. When you take a, a civilian and you run them through your police citizens academy, and you run them through your use of force simulator, and you present them with uh, shoot don't shoot scenarios. They're terrible at it. Absolutely horrible. Like <laughs> they shoot children in schools. They shoot hostages all the time. Um, and then afterwards, it, like they have there, there can be like a really, really powerful um, emotional response to that. Like, oh, my, I failed. I, you know, I hurt somebody. I injured somebody. And where where they were looking at these things as just kind of like, well, from the outside looking in, it looks so easy. I watch this stuff on TV all the time. They shoot the guy in the leg. They do whatever. Um, wow, it turns out that when I'm under stress or I'm under pressure, I don't, I don't act that way. Or I'm having, a, or 
we we start experience these things like auditory and visual exclusion and you know just that that stress response takes over and cops get that and that's a great way to expose that same type of stress to a civilian who's not used to that type of stress um and one of the other analogies i give all the time is like uh and i was just talking about this yesterday on a different recording the, the average police officer and data suggests now, and I think the number's low, so I'm curious where they got the data, but experiences about 180 traumatic, they're, they're exposed to about 180 traumatic events over the course of their career. And I think it's a lot higher than that. And so now you start talking about stress and trauma and the accumulation of stress and trauma. And then when it's unresolved and, and not addressed, the the bio the biological response is protect the organism and and i think it's a long long way of saying what you're saying as police leaders and supervisors not only is this training about communication but it's also about identifying when we have we're starting to see a breakdown in this process early warning signs like when the shields go up and now we have, you know, fiefdom starting to to occur and a breakdown in communication that that might not necessarily be because there's a lack of communication. It just might be, hey, my physiological defenses are up and I'm not even in a good position to receive messages anymore. So everything I'm everything that's coming into me now is a threat. And so what do I do? I, I start gathering my people around me and we start communicating about what the threat is and next thing you know uh we're we're not only are you in the doom loop but you're pulling the people around you into the doom loop and if there's not somebody there that has the awareness to reach in and grab you and pull you out um that can be a problem and i think when you consider this and you think about what these physiological mechanisms are doing and then you look at officer health and wellness you start to understand, okay, now I get it. I understand why 60 to 70% of the police uh, population is insulin resistant. I see why they're um, obese, in some cases, morbidly obese. And then you really start to understand that the mental and the physical, they're all interconnected. They're all interrelated. And so improving these communication skills isn't just about really improving performance it's about opening up opportunities to understand when somebody might even be struggling and and when we understand that then i think we've got great opportunities to be able to perform better absolutely pat you know say it all the time knowledge is power so a lot of this what we're talking about is is simply giving law enforcement officers the knowledge of what's going on inside, it, it, it's not because they're bad or like they're sick. I never come into any of this thinking, no, it, it's more about like, if, if we can give you the knowledge behind the physiological response in the moment, if we can give you the knowledge of the physical aspects of performance, if we can give you the knowledge of how the mental uh, response interacts with those, those things, now, now we start to give you uh, control. And the one thing I know and learned much <laughs> about law enforcement officers is they like control. 
And so it's sort of this different approach that says, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to provide you with every aspect of what I know, because my God, I need you to be your very best. Please be your very best because it matters to our community. It matters to you and your family, right? Like I think about, I know so many law enforcement officers and I know their families well, and, you know, we do anything to protect them from that stress response. That's so, it, it, it's so difficult on their bodies and long-term. And, you know, you talk about the, the trauma over time. I wanted to, I'm glad you brought that up. Just had a conversation with actually two previous Navy SEAL officers who talked directly about this, Pat, about how when we experience a traumatic event, the one thing that they learned through Navy SEAL training is that it's incredibly important to, they call it compartmentalize that. And what that means is they don't let it fester. They actually go to a, to a safe place, a quiet place, and they mourn that experience. They actually experience those emotions they have the emotions go through them rather than resist. Because what we're learning, again, this stuff is new. Like this is the other part that's really fascinating is we're learning new things about this all the time. And wouldn't we want our best to have that? And what we're learning is that processing, look, nobody nobody was supposed to see a child die and be okay, right? So right. it's important that officers they 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 take the time to really walk through that trauma and as difficult as it is that they experience it they understand the emotions that are happening and they take the time to move through it otherwise we see a compounding effect that really wrecks havoc on the body yeah and control is it's it's such a powerful word too and oftentimes and, and particularly now in these in the day and age of the body camera, where everybody gets an opportunity to, um, from the hindsight and luxury of 2020, evaluate uh, an officer's performance under pressure. And police officers and organizations should be doing that. And I know that they they do that, but they really should take a hard look at what they can learn from their own stuff. But what oftentimes what you see is when, and again, this is the doom loop, right? Where I give somebody instructions and I expect a response. And when I don't get the expected response, I I don't have a backup plan. And so what my, what my backup plan then becomes is say it louder and more forceful. <laughs> yeah. And, Old school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then we just got, so that again, we're now we're, we're back into the doom loop. And this is again, another area where, where somebody needs to come grab us and, 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 you know, just shock us, right. To give us in, and Victor Frankel, right. He talks about this being the stimulus gap, right. In that it, where we always have the ability to decide how we're going to respond, but it's not, but it, you have to, you have to train that into your response. It's not, it's not something that is automatic for all people. And again, this is where, Working, working with a coach, working with a performance coach can be very beneficial because we can practice these skills um, and we can learn how to create that gap and take that moment to think about how we're going to respond next. And then 
the better you, the more you practice, just like anything else, the better you get at it. Yeah, absolutely. Putting officers in positions where they have a chance to practice in a safe environment is really important, you know, and, and that's something I learned from your team specifically is, you know, when I first started putting them literally face to face with one another and asking them to identify where does this person just, where are they tremendous? Where do they absolutely stand up at their best? I want you to tell them a specific example where you observed that they were spot on fantastic and, and why. And it was tremendously uncomfortable for them to do that. And the thing of it is, is we've got to get better at being able to do that in safe environments so that when we are out in non-safe environments, we've at least practiced some of that uncomfortability of how to communicate in ways that really connect to the other person. Always, I always teach, listen, people will always approach everything from what, how does this impact me? And if you can better understand how, what you're saying, how you're communicating, how that's going to be received on the other side, it doesn't really matter what your message is. All that really matters is how it was received. So putting them in positions where they have an opportunity to practice and get real-time feedback is so critical to helping them feel more comfortable doing that outside of that environment. Yeah, and that and, and that's kind of right there at the core of what we ultimately wanted to get to in this conversation. The This is not something that we do, or at least I, I should say, Maybe it's being done. I just haven't seen it done very often is actually practice the difficult conversations, put people face to face. And like you said, in a safe environment and then have them have them walk through what these interactions are going to look like. And I know one of the things that was really beneficial was you had a script also a practice script where where we used other people's stories and information and to be able to get a, a get into a rhythm of how the conversations can go. And then you flip it and say, okay, well now make it really make it personal, make it about, you know, something that you know about the other person, because at the core of everything we do, especially, especially for our frontline supervisors, you have to have difficult conversations with subordinates and, and you also have to be open to hear difficult feedback coming back from your subordinates. So every, you know, the idea really should be at the end of these things, uh, everybody has a better and higher level of understanding about, about the situation. Um, Now discipline can be a little bit different, like discipline conversations and formal discipline can be a little bit different, but, but hopefully if you do, if you, if you're really good at, having these conversations and the difficult conversations at the earliest possible time, we can reduce disciplinary issues uh, where, where we don't, where we course correct at the earliest possible time instead of crash landing at the end and then trying to put the pieces back together. Yeah, for sure. You know, Pat, one of the things I've learned in, in working with teams like yours and others is also like helping people cultivate in a growth mindset for everyone. So I think when you talk about having difficult conversations, 
one of the ways that I, I teach people to approach these things is we first have to start with an, an uh, undeniable belief that this person can do better, like it, it, undeniable, right? Because what I see happen often is, oh, hell, you know, Johnny, Johnny fucked that up again, you know, or like he, he does, he has that response all the time, or he's never going to get there or whatever. And listen, if that's, if that's where we start, then, then this stuff is not for you because the only way to growth is to, is to have an undeniable belief that people can do better. Does that mean that everyone hits the highest performance? Look, I was number eight out of 10. No, we don't. Right. But the people on that team believe that I could do better. And so that's what it's about is you have to come into these difficult conversations, believing that there is more on the other side for that person to give. And you believe in them because whether you're saying the words or not, they will feel that with every ounce of your being. So it, st it starts with like, first a belief that, that I can help this person do better and that's going to be better for them. And that's going to be better for all of us. Um, and you take them as far as you can take them. You know, I, I mean, there's plenty of situations where, yeah, you may take them all the way as far as they can go. And that's okay too. Um, but if we come into conversations thinking this guy's worthless, that there's no way they're going to get there, then the, then you probably shouldn't have the conversation. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so, and I know we're we're going right on an hour here, and I could I could talk about this stuff all day. But one of I, I think one of the the biggest takeaways from the training that that we did with you, and where I think police police departments can really benefit from from performance coaching in general, is that uh, developing a higher level of understanding about what good interactions can look like and how positive they can be and how you can share um, maybe deficits in performance, but do it in a way that we build and, and not tear. And that's in, and I think that kind of goes back to the old school mentality. I, I can go back to like my early days in the, you know, in the military. Um, I had some really good leaders and then I had some just terrible leaders. Right. And, you know, and I think the military really pivoted, in the nineties and probably even before that, but, um, they, they do a really good job of preparing leaders for leadership positions and supervisory positions before they ever put them in there. Law enforcement, just because of the way merit rules are set up and the way that the organizational structures have been designed, we're not so good at that. Like just because somebody is technically or tactically proficient in a job, oftentimes that leads to promotion where they're not necessarily prepared to handle the, the soft skills uh, and, the, and the personal interactions that are a big part of leadership and management. So um, maybe maybe just, uh, just a couple high-level observations there about why you think this kind of, from you, just really from your own experiences, why you think law enforcement organizations should invest in this type of training. Yeah, um, I mean, it really, it's, it's not a lot different than the private sector is what I would tell you. It, it We find it off, often people put into leadership positions because they were good at the job to begin with, right? They, they were highly, uh, 
they were good individual contributors. So the next logical step is to promote. And oftentimes that leads to, into a management role. And like you said, without the training to help people become that, we're really, we're really not setting our organizations up for success. Um, you know, I, I can distinctly remember, this is something that I see happen with law enforcement officers and otherwise, is until an individual truly makes a transition, until they truly understand that their role is now to build other people, it is very difficult for them to communicate differently. Okay, so what we see is there are typically individual contributors that get to that level and there's a continual push for how they want things done. But it takes this transition period. And I, I can I can distinctly remember this for me. I can remember the day I was sitting in my office. I was responsible for eight other high performing people um, and, and they were great at their job, but I was the leader. And I remember one of them walking into my office and she wanted to sit down and she wanted to bitch about something and she wanted my, my attention. And I thought I got no time for this. I mean, I've got, I got all this other stuff I got to do. And Pat, I can't tell you exactly how it happened, but when she walked out, a light bulb went off and I, I finally got it. I finally realized that my role on this team go back to role clarity, yep. is not about me. My role on the team is to make her tremendous. And that's the transition that has to happen. Wow, that's, uh, and, I, and I think the, in uh, what we're seeing today in, in our environment is the old model was for every opening that we had, there would be 100, 200, 300 candidates waiting for that job, like begging to get in there. So you didn't really have to do anything different. It was, it was rinse and repeat, you know, uh, you break somebody down and, and when they're, when they're done, when they're washed up, you hire the next person, you bring them in. And now law enforcement in, you know, as a whole has been, is we're really, we're really forced to compete with the private sector and other industries for a declining number in the workforce, but then also people that just have a different perspective coming in. And um, I think this type of training, again, really helps organizations build for the future, investing in the people that they have right now, and then really kind of opening up the possibilities for what you know, really what new levels of performance you can reach in the future. Yeah, no, we talk about it. And I think I shared with your team, you know, when you think about performance, like I'm one individual, right? So I can raise my performance by this much, right? But what happens if I go out and cultivate all other kinds of leaders on my team? Well, all of a sudden I just took my team's performance, essentially my performance and skyrocket it right? I mean, there's only so much you're going to be able to achieve on your own. And why invest in this? Here's what I have not only felt myself, but helped others experience 
is that the kind of fulfillment that you get from building other people, it is, it's not touchable to any other achievement you will ever make in your individual career. It's just not because it provides a different kind of satisfaction when you see other people do things that they never thought were possible for them. And so what, what motivates me, what excites me about law enforcement officers considering this kind of training is you're not only increasing the performance of your department, but you're giving people something that they will have forever that fulfills them beyond just the day-to-day and they take home to their families as well. You know, people want to feel good about what they do. And this is something that is, goes far beyond an individual achievement. Well, I think that's a, that's a great um, cap or a great end point. Otherwise, if I keep talking and ask another question, we're going to go for another hour. So yeah. Um, Awesome. Well, that was, that was, that was really cool. Um, For people that might have an interest in learning more about what you're doing is, do you have uh, any place you want to send them like email, website, anything like that? Yeah. If they can um, connect with me on LinkedIn is one of the place I places I find people. Uh, I communicate with people most often um, and you can find my contact information there. So it's just Kristen Stapleton. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N and Stapleton, Staple, T-O-N. Um, you can also visit me at amplify3x.com. Although that site is being re- <laughs> rebuilt, <laughs> but so you'll find what you'll find. But in any event, we're uh, I'm excited about the the opportunities and um, look forward to working with more just like you, Pat. Awesome. Well, thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us today. I apologize uh, for a couple of uh, internet glitches, but we'll we'll try to edit that out. So hopefully, people won't even notice. Um, but other than that. Keep up the great work. Um, You know, we need all the help that we can get and we need all the support that we can get. So uh, don't we all? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, we we all do. All right, everyone. Uh, Thanks. Thanks for being here. And until our next episode will be 1042. The Coptimizer podcast is powered by Performance Protocol. Performance Protocol brings professional executive coaching to police officers and administrators at all levels of the organization. Performance Protocol has the blueprint that will operationalize organizational optimization. It is purpose-built for today's public safety employees to help them accomplish goals and live better. What is it? One-on-one video-based coaching with officers and leaders who have been in your shoes and know firsthand what it means to live and work in public safety. The program will connect you with certified coaches who combine their years of success in the world of law enforcement with world-class training from the cobble of performance protocol coaches. Get the support, resources, motivation you need to live the life you want. Performance protocol coaches are relatable, knowledgeable, and confidential. Most importantly, they get results. Why should the keys to unlocking our peak performance be reserved for just the boardroom or the playing field? Unleash your full potential today and get started with Performance Protocol. Remember, performance is the goal. Protocol is the path. 
log into www.performance-protocol and learn more about how to bring this program to your agency and community.